Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hacker Factory. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, The Hacker Maker. And each episode, I have a unique guest sharing their story and knowledge on how to get started in the industry. And today, I'm very excited and honored to have IPSEC on. Welcome, IPSEC. Hey, Phil. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining. It's a, it's an honor to get to get to talk to you. And, and uh, until recently, I couldn't put a face with the person, although this is not a video podcast, so it's... I've always used to seeing your console and stuff, but uh, it, it's great to have you. So for those that don't know of you, because a lot of our uh, listeners are people just getting started, could you kind of share who you are with our audience? Yeah, um, so I'm Ipsec. Uh, most people know me for my YouTube channel. Uh, if you just Google Ipsec or you go to like ipsec.rocks, I have a lot of my YouTube videos indexed. So if you just type a topic like, BGP or a CVE number or something like that, it not only brings you to the exact video where I talk about it, but also the timestamp of where that is. So it really helps what I think is beginners just understand how the exploit works. So if they go to Shellshock, they just type in Shellshock, click it, and then there's probably five to 10 minutes of me talking about that exploit and how to perform it, how to check it, et cetera. Oh, very cool. So, uh, Kind of want you share how share how you got started. You know, kind of what you what your kind of what your role is, what you do today, and then kind of how you got started. Yeah, so I currently work for Hack the Box. Um, my role is like an architect, which doesn't really mean that much. I handle everything from like testing machines someday, proofreading academy modules, building machines. Uh, putting in some automation in our pro labs, which are like enterprise environments for people to hack on to get that type of experience. Um, just a big wide range. My background is actually in video games and sysadmin, I would guess. Um, my high school didn't really have any IT classes and I didn't go to college. So I've always been kind of a do-it-yourself learner. In high school, I ran a blog called Tutorial Ninjas, which is similar to like Lifehacker, Back in the day, that was a popular site. Now it's probably just a bunch of ads. But it just had posts every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sometimes super technical, like modding the Apple TV, which got me in a newspaper over a decade ago, which really helped land my first job. But sometimes it was just as silly as like how to make ramen and like add things to it to make it more interesting, like just adding an egg to make like egg drop ramen. And I think that helped me a lot because it just encouraged me to try new things constantly throughout the week and like many goals to um, teach myself things. So that's primarily how I started. 
Um, some of the tutorial ninja ones were technical blog posts. I was also in like the video game hacking scene, uh, mainly just learning from other people. But yeah, very cool. So yeah, until until we recently spoke, I didn't realize what you did. I would have thought you were you know, some kind of a security researcher or penetration tester with the skills that you kind of display in your, your walkthrough videos? No, it's always been a hobby. Um, like I was a sysadmin probably for around like five years. And then I got into, um, e-sport commentating. It's like a sports announcer, but for a video game called Starcraft. And I used a lot of my money I made being a sysadmin because I got that job when I was like 17, I want to think. It was like one week before my 18th birthday. But I used that money to fund tournaments because I wanted to get experience talking because I actually grew up with a speech impediment called roticism. If you know like Big Bang Theory, like Kripke has that speech impediment. There's a bunch of like famous cartoon characters. But like that was my outlet to talk and try to improve my speech and then after i stopped playing starcraft i wanted to continue that and ended up deciding you know what i'm doing this youtube ctf thing now and that's primarily the main reason i started was i just wanted an outlet to talk <laughs> yeah that was a very cool way of doing it and, and thanks for sharing i think that would be good for our listeners because you know a lot of people are just are scared to speak in 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 general, and that was kind of me uh, back in 2013. I was scared to pe- speak in public, but wanted to speak at conferences, and finally wanted to bad enough that I went to Toastmasters to get started. So that's that's cool and a, a unique way of doing that. Uh, the outlet you found, you know, those type of ways like content creation and walk through videos and that sort of stuff may be a little more available and easier for people to move into instead of being in a crowd of strangers trying to, to work on their speaking. Yeah. And then it's always great having the benefit. If I don't like how something went, I can always stop it. And I'm the only one that ever hears it. But over time you build up the confidence where that's less and less of an issue. Um, it's one of the reasons why like it's so hard to find probably podcasts about me or me just talking because normally I don't, just wing it like we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> well, wing, winging it's kind of my style. That's how we do it on the show. But uh, very cool sharing that, and 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 really kind of cool because one of the things I've really seen a lot more of this year was was people uh, getting into the industry from uh, content creation. You know, because you know traditionally before people would learn how to uh, do whatever skill and and seeing how people are creating courses and walkthroughs and stuff actually helped them get attention in the, the indie industry and get started. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite things about this industry is just how open-ended it is. Like you can take experience from anything you do in life and it somehow will translate into security. Like a bunch of people with like marketing experience turn out to be like really good social engineers just because they're so used to talking to people and a lot of the security people really aren't. And when you put like a security person and a marketer in the same room together, they come up with some really fun, like phishing campaigns on how to target people. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good example there. So yeah, it's even just even beyond security community, just seeing how the internet has made it easier for people that wanted to become music artists. They could create their own content online, their own, 
upload to SoundCloud and different things and get discovered. Whereas normally the old way you would have to find someone that would help try to get your name out there, get your CDs in front of different companies and stuff to try to get record deals and stuff. So the, the internet has really made things more accessible and uh, given people a way to get in that didn't exist at one time. Yeah. Um, independent labels are big and like, it's amazing what YouTube and Twitch have become. I remember when I started out my video game streaming, YouTube didn't offer live streams and Twitch wasn't around. So I started on a website called livestream.com. And whenever I told friends, they thought I was like, what is now OnlyFans? That was their first thing that came to mind when I was like, no, I'm on Livestream right now. But I started off on Livestream, moved over to Ustream, then went over to Justin TV, which eventually rebranded themselves as Twitch. And I was actually one of the, I think, first 10 partnered streams with Twitch back in my video game days. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. And I guess it's interesting that you leverage things from your video game days to to show content helpful for people in security. That's really cool. Yeah, and I think a lot of just playing games translated into my security, I would think. Because like my weapon of choice was always StarCraft, which is like a real-time strategy game. Essentially, if those that don't know, you build a base, an army, and attack other players. And it's a really impossible game to master just because of how much is going on. And that's why I got really good at pattern recognition and understanding the importance of reconnaissance or recon. Um because in that game, a lot of people think recon, oh, I'm going to send this one unit across the map, and what it sees is what it sees. But when you go to a higher level at the game, it's like you're noticing all the patterns. Like, I sent this unit out. I saw their unit at this time. It probably means they're in this part of the map, and I'm going to send him there first to get there quicker than I normally would have. And then when you get to his base, you're not really looking at what is there. You're looking at what is missing. So instead of like, oh... You built these two buildings. You're probably going to do this. It's you've mined this much resources. I can see because I'm in your base. There's some things missing. And I say that translates really well into security because I think one of the biggest problems people have is understanding the importance of that reconnaissance. Like they're like, no, I did recon. I ran Nmap. I know the open ports. And there's so much more to it than that. Like when I run Nmap, I'm looking for the things that Nmap isn't telling me. For instance, like I see an Nginx server give me a cookie labeled J session ID. I know there's probably some type of Tomcat server running in the background that that Nginx is in front of. And there's some specific like service side request forgery attacks I should throw at it. Um, it's just one of the like things that I think people should think about more. And it's so easy to dismiss recon because it's just so basic at first. But once you start digging more and more into it, um, you'll understand how important recon is. Yeah, that's very good advice, looking for the things that that doesn't come back from Nmap because too many times you're too too much looking at the output of what Nmap gets you and you just don't think about what you're not seeing. So that's that's great advice. So the you know having that sysadmin background seemed to really help you uh, with you know the walkthroughs on hack the box and that sort of thing. Uh, is what would you recommend for someone that wanted to get started in pen testing for them to learn the sysadmin type skills? Would you think someone would have to actually do that role or they, there's just, they could just learn those skills or what's your opinion? So I'm always under the like, I think people should start out on the blue side 
before going over to the right side. Um, coming from like that side, the first thing I'm cautious about is always letting like junior level people pen test my equipment because they don't really have the experience to know what dangerous things they're running, right? Um, as a sysadmin, I know if you ARP spoof enough machines, you're going to eventually kick some things off and things will just go down. If you just jump into like a bunch of vulnerable labs that are like tailored to work with that in a particular exploit and don't have uh, like uptime monitoring, so you never know if you take services down, uh, you can pick up a lot of bad habits that way. So starting out as a defender lets you like get some of that foresight to be like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this test without notifying people first because it could crash things. Um, the second thing is just how much bigger the job pool is for defenders than it is attackers. Because every company needs sysadmin. They need all those roles. They need multiple people. And they don't exactly need full-time red teamers. So just the ease of getting a job, like you could probably research mod security or um, app locker, just one particular defensive product for two or three months and then sell yourself as that type of expert and try to get into a company that doesn't know about mod security, setting up a web application firewall and things like that. Um, it's a lot harder to do that on the offensive side, I think. And there's, and there's something to be said, I think, too, for people to understand the remediation part, because if you just come in pure offensive and you don't have the experience from the blue team, then sometimes it's a little harder to explain how to remediate things. Yeah, and also it's um, really easy to get a really bad mindset, I think, if you start out on Red Team, because um, you never understand why everything is bad. You just see bad everywhere. So you keep thinking, like, every company is incompetent. They don't know how to do this. This patching thing, they just can't do it. It's so easy. Why don't they? Like, you just see bad everywhere, and you capitalize on people's misfortunes. And that's, I think, over time it's hard to do that day in and day out and just constantly be exposed to badness without understanding that like walking in their shoes. Yeah. And one of the things I think it, it helps build respect because when I started pen testing, you know, I'd worked over six years as a sysadmin before I ever got into security. So you definitely had the respect for the environment you're going into to pen test. So you didn't want to take things down because you knew what would what it would entail to bring things back up again and, and deal with outages like that. So you're kind of pay more careful. And I think that's attention to that. And I think that's one of the things too, that really separates, you know, professional offensive professionals compared to a threat actor. Whereas if something goes down, they're just trying not to get caught and they really don't care if they're taking things down, if they don't get caught, whereas professionals and we're doing this to help defend then we definitely don't want to be taking stuff down. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like if you talk to any like red teamer, a lot of them are going to say, we don't do all that like Hollywood hacking, throwing these exploits or things that really at end of the day, we get on the network through some stupid way. And then we read their documentation and understand their business process and find a small flaw there. Like, the amount of hours spent just reading Confluence or SharePoint or something from pen testers is crazy. Yeah, and sometimes the information you find is not always on in an area that requires privilege escalation or domain yeah. admin or root access to do that. Yep. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, one of the, it seemed like the advantages too of the sysadmin stuff is, you know, you're, you're going to understand the command line better and you know what to happen, what to do. If you have a shell to a Linux or windows server, you kind of know what you can do from there. Yeah. And if, um, you also have trouble finding the job there um, and you want to go red team eventually, just starting out doing like the hack the box starting point or academy, which is geared towards beginners, will let you build on those foundational skills like learning how to use Linux, things like that, and really help you get that first job because you'll go into that interview as probably a junior person and know what like, PWD means and those basic commands and the company will think they're getting a bargain for you because they're paying a really low salary knowing that they're going to have to teach you things. And if you've already know a lot of things, then they're just making money at that end. Yeah. That you mentioned the hack the box Academy. It's really impressive what, what you all are doing over there because I mean, some of the talent you've uh, recruited over there because Demetrios that's over there that used to be formerly from eLearn security having, you know, that knowledge there along with some other folks, that's pretty cool. I do like that type of platform that's more hands-on because, you know, some of these other courses are a lot of reading or videos and not as much hands-on. So at least that's great. You really need that hands-on experience to learn. Yeah. And we do our best to always include uh, both sides of content. Like I know the power view module, which is a bit more complex for a lot of people, but after talking about like, an exploit to add a user into an Active Directory group, we spend some time going over how to look at the replication data in Active Directory to find out the exact time that user was added to the group and going that extra mile, which is something I always did back in my sysadmin days. Whenever I'm looking for an issue, I'm like, okay, how long has this issue persisted? Um, I find a lot of like pen testers or red teamers don't really care about that, but I think it really makes your report stand out if you put in information that will help um, threat hunters down the line. Yeah. Kind of since we're in this subject already. So what, you know, you kind of recommended that you would start on the blue team side or uh, possible sysadmin starting out. What would you recommend for someone, a, a track or path? So if someone wants to get into security, where would you recommend they start? Um, I started with, uh, a website called Over the Wire and a specific part of that website was Bandit, which was a bunch of just um, how to use Linux challenges. That's a really old resource, but I think it's still up and probably still a good place. But also Hack the Box does have tracks and paths on their site that have um, the actual like job role name that tries to highlight the content that will help you take that. Um, if you're a bit more intermediate, I would highly recommend doing like Cobalt or Synac and going that route. I'm not a huge bug bounty fan. Um, I like Synac's approach much better where it's more, I don't think it's exactly 1099, but it's more similar to that where they hire you to do quote unquote missions because that's their terminology and pay you for that. I really like um, going through the third party because if Whoops, accidentally muted. But I like going through the third party because if things go bad, they'll have your back a little bit more than if you're just by yourself when it comes to legal things. Yeah, that that's good advice. And I know like you mentioned Cobalt and Synac. I know that uh, with Cobalt, they work 1099, so you get a pen test to perform. And 
and you actually get paid something. I mean, uh, I know like, like Cobalt, they pay like $1,500 per pen test, which for, you know, what pen testers normally make, that's not much, but good for someone starting out once you get that experience and it's easier, easier to go full time with something like that after that. Yeah. And also like joining those community, if you do bug bounty, chances are you're going to like try to lone wolf it because a lot of the bug bounty crowd, I think is kind of territorial with some of their methods because they try to find one exploit, automate it, and then scan all the targets and get as much money as possible from that. Right. But in Synac or Cobalt, you get access to like a private Slack where you actually communicate with other people, like the mentor in Synac. I think like Synac having a um, mentor of the year award, I think, just really encouraging the collaboration and building the like internal social network because no one can do pen, t- like no one can solve anything, everything in pen testing because the field is just so wide. So it's really important to always be able to leverage other people and joining platforms like Synac, Hack the Box, Cobalt helps you build that social network. Yeah, definitely glad that you have people you can bounce ideas off of because, you know, just like in a corporate environment or consultancy, you've you've got other people you can bounce things off of. And if you're out somewhere else having to lone wolf it and you don't have anything, anyone to ask questions, and that makes it pretty tough to learn on your own. Yep. So kind of what are your thoughts? Because a lot of people say to be a pen tester that you need to know how to code. What are your what is your opinion on that? Um, I don't think you need to know how to code. Um, sometimes I think uh, coding is a handicap towards me. I know like when me and OXDF tackle a lot of problems, um, one of the things he often will say is sometimes you're just too smart for this because I did something. It didn't work. I've put in my head like how the code should work in the back end. And what I put in my head isn't how it's actually working. And I just move on to the next thing. He's like, well, if you just were like brute forced it, tried a few more things, even though this one thing didn't work, tried a few different ways. And sometimes it does work that way. And I'm like, well, every time like I do that, I'm like, man, that was stupid. It worked, but I'm happy. However, it's really tough to fight that mindset sometimes. So there's benefit to knowing coding. There's disadvantages knowing coding. Uh, the main thing is try to find a way to relate how an application is working in your mind. Yeah, it's one of my favorite questions to ask on the show because of all the people, you know, Alyssa, Alyssa Knight is a, a really good hacker. But whenever I interviewed her for her episode, I was amazed to hear that she doesn't code. So, you know, usually people at really high levels, you know, like your harm joys and, uh, some of these other folks know how to code and just to hear someone at that level that don't code, it's kind of interesting to hear the different points of view. Yeah. I think if you talk to most, so I, my opinion is majority of pen testers or red teamers don't know how to code because there's so many open source tools out there for you to be successful without knowing it. Like impact it, Mimikatz, all that stuff is coded for you. It's just each pen test is assembling the puzzle in a different way to get the result you want. So the minority that do code are very like popular and outspoken. But if you like try to name 15 big coders in the open source industry, it'd be pretty tough, right? <laughs> you name three, but could you go on for 15? 
Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the few coders there are that are good uh, put out so much work that it makes it seem like you have to code everything yourself when I don't think that's the case. Um, understanding how things work is much more important. And like coming from a sysadmin background, this was the days before PowerShell. I didn't know how to code, um, but I know pretty well how Active Directory and things like that work just based upon playing with it. Yeah, that's good points and, and possibly be able to reverse engineer stuff, I think is kind of helpful too. So what about certifications and degrees? Because everyone's got their opinion on that and just curious to hear what your opinion oh, is man. on that. <laughs> so I used to be in like the whole certification is great thing. And I still am somewhat in that sense. My view on certifications has changed over time. And I think that's just um, how the industry has changed. There's a lot more ways to game the certification. As we get more and more people into this field, uh, the amount of people getting certifications illegitimately does increase, unfortunately. But I don't look at it as you got OSCP, you know how to pen test. Or um, you went with the CEH, that's a horrible cert. Why would you do that? I look at it more as... How much did you do each year? And do you do it in spurts? Because the main thing I care about is people spend time continuously improving themselves. So if they got A+, plus, CEH, um, Security+, plus, EJ, PT, all those certs, if it's spaced out a long time, I'm going to give that person more credit than the person that just went for one hard cert and that's all they did. And... Yeah, if they got all those certs in like a one month time span, I'm going to be like, oh, you just got these because you're looking for a job. You knew this skill. You didn't challenge yourself, right? It's all about doing it continually. Yeah, I agree. And then one of the things with certifications too, it's kind of a point in time assessment of what your skills are. So if you're going for the OSCP, put in all the effort to pass the exam, study for it and get past the exam. If you don't keep up studying that level, you're not going to retain that level of skill which I think a lot of people don't keep in mind. Yeah. The way I see a lot of companies moving towards is at least in this industry, building small CTFs and using that as the entry point, because doing an interview is expensive because if you look at like a senior pen tester, that is a consultant probably earns a company somewhere between 350 to $450 an hour. That's probably their bill rate to the provider. The pen tester is probably making like 80 to 150 of that, but their overall bill rate is super high. So if you take that person and have them do an interview, you're essentially burning $300 for that interview because you're not making that 300 And every bad candidate you get, it gets costly pretty quick. So they're building these CTF challenges to kind of um, act as a firewall in order to make sure the candidates they start screening are valuable to their company. And I know um, Hack the Box currently handles both Synac and Cobalt's candidate assessments through a special portal where we built an uh, environment that mimics the things they want. Um, I'm super for that because it's like point in time for that company. So OSCP is a pretty like wide range of exploits. Um, a lot of like, if we went the Synac route, 
pretty much everything you do after the initial web exploit will probably be out of scope because they don't do a lot of that whole lateral movement, binary exploit, that type of privask. They're more concerned about initial footholds. So using a big cert like that doesn't really help guarantee they have the skills for that position. So if the company stands up their own environment, I think it lets them measure the skills much better and also gives the candidate a better idea of what they'll be doing in the job. Yeah, I think that's good. And I really think it's kind of a wise decision for some companies to outsource that to like hack the box. I used to work for the federal side of, of uh, point three security. They had mm-hmm. their escalate platform for, for vetting people. And that's, that's a good step. And I think really with our industry, we should really look more towards that instead of the, the technical interviews, because, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, technical people get really nervous in interviews and I don't think they perform as well as they could as if you gave them this challenge going and do this to find out their true skills. Because when some people really grill someone on in an interview, you're kind of missing out on how good they are. Now, if they were comfortable with you and all that, it might be a different story, but they don't have time to, to do that. So I think those uh, challenges like that are very helpful. I know from consulting, a lot of companies will do that. They've got an environment, you come in, you have to perform a pen test against it. So yeah, I much prefer that than like go in an interview and have them say, okay, explain how um, making a request to a website works from start to finish. And yeah, I'd rather just be like, you did this challenge, explain your thought process, what you thought of it. Yeah. And, the, and when those challenges too, you know, real world, people have got their notes. You don't remember every single thing you've ever done, but you know, someone knows how to research it. They can get this thing done. And through a technical challenge, I think that's a much better assessment because you can answer questions and that's more of a CEH or, you know, like SANS type of questions where you have question or answer opposed to like, you know, something, the challenges of something like the OSCP where you have to actually go in and do something to, to pass the assessment. So yeah, I think that's, that's good. Yeah. What do you, I was just going to add on, um, Anything you do, like hack the box, try hack me, offensive security, even if it doesn't have a certification, um, please add that to your resume when you apply to places. <laughs> There's so many times like when I interview for positions or interview people applying, even at my last job, um, one of the things I always hate conducting the interviews is thinking up questions because people just put like job experience and because we're in security, we're always vague about what a job experience actually is. Um, and then I start talking to the person like, oh, yeah, I did this CTF. I'm like, why don't you put that on this like resume? I'd love to pull questions and talk to you about that. Like if you went to ShmooCon or DEFCON or something, put that on it. And then we can talk about our experience there because I think half of getting a job is just um, making sure the person that interviews you thinks that you'd be fun to work with. Um, it's not just about being technical. Yeah, that's kind of a good point there. Something I just rare, rarely hear anyone say, but that that is a good thing because you're going to be someone's teammate. And so that's kind of a, a good point. If someone knows you're going to be fun to work with and they would like working with you, that kind of definitely gives you an edge. So what do you think about some, you know, talk about do all the hack the box, the things you don't get certification. So how would you leverage some of that stuff? Would you do write-ups or any kind of videos on that type of stuff? Since we kind of mentioned the content creation earlier, just want to get your ideas on how you would leverage that stuff on a resume or to use in an interview to, to help get a job. Um, 
write-ups would be huge um or videos both are good i'm biased i like videos because i'm a perfectionist and sometimes i if i like have to write it down i'm going to edit and rewrite it probably 15 times whereas a video it's really tough for me to go back and edit <laughs> so i can just kind of do this and then well it's it's done i hope it was good because there's no going back um write-ups you can't really do that so it's all about um you however um the benefit to doing either is you build a social connection and that's probably my like second tip on getting a job is every company i've worked for has some type of um referral bonus if someone brings you to the company so if you're able to do write up, someone reads them, they like them, they reach out to you, you start talking and they work at a company you want to go to, you message them and be like, oh yeah, um, you'll bypass the HR firewall. I'll get you to an interview right away and I'll make some money. Like it's so easy. And if you don't go that route, um, Jason Blankard, I'm probably mispronounced his uh, last name from Black Hills, used to be Sands, does a great like job hunting stream and he talks about like ways to get into Twitter feeds or LinkedIn, how to use it to talk to people at jobs to try to get them to like you enough in order to refer you to the company because social connection is huge. Yeah, that's a pretty cool concept to get to be communicating with people that don't know you to to get the referral and so forth. Cause I know being in the industry for a while, that's how I get most of my jobs these days is through referrals, people I know that work for the company. So that that's pretty cool advice. Yeah. He, I've, I've got to watch his video cause I've heard a lot about his streams and, and what he does and how helpful it is. I need to check that out sometime. Another video I ran across recently was Jason Haddock's was on Naham sex, uh, live stream. And they did a walkthrough on, on building out a resume. And Jason was even using like Google docs or maybe even Google slides to create a resume template that looks like some of these paid templates you have out there and, and mentioned other ways on how to use bug bounty experience and some of the vulnerable VM experience on your resume. Yeah. Um, I think the key thing with resume, it doesn't matter what the experience is, as long as you can show that you're consistent. Um, and I think that goes with most of life. As long as you're consistent in doing something, it'll pay off eventually. <laughs> so we're down towards the end of the show. Is there any kind of advice or anything you'd like to share before we end? Um, probably just keep trying and stay at it. Um, this field is incredibly tough at times. It can feel like you're running into a wall constantly but that's how learning curves work. It's gonna be hard, and then suddenly, as soon as you surpass that wall, you're like, oh, that's super easy. Um, I relate it a lot to like physical fitness, which is also important, but the benefit of physical fitness is after you keep at it for one to two months, you actually see improvements, but for actually like learning a topic, it can take more than that. It may take like um, setting aside some time, like four days a week to just study and it won't really pay off until like month five and six and it still won't be a physical thing it'll just be like oh i got that so much easier than i would have months ago it's always about like finding some way to relate your previous knowledge to what you're studying now yeah great advice so uh, uh thanks for joining it was awesome talking to you and kind of getting to learn a little more about your background and thanks for sharing your knowledge and in your story with our listeners 
Yep, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.